The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. I was born and raised in Boulder, Colorado,、um, and I lived there almost my entire life until I moved here in August. I graduated from the University of Colorado last May. Woo! Go Buffs! There's some Buffs here tonight.、Um, and I majored in communications, and I got a certificate in technology, arts, and media. So raise your hand if it's your first time here tonight, or if you just started attending the in the spring quarter. Anybody? Okay, <laughs> great. So I'm the last of the four interns to give a talk, and we do this thing called cutest baby contest. So if it's your first time here or you just started coming, you have to vote for me.、Um, <laughs> so that's great. I'm glad you're here.、Um, so the first picture we have is called Megan Bo Peep. There I am.、Um, I don't know why I'm wearing a bonnet, but I am. So that's cute. The next thing you should know about me is I have a twin brother. So the next picture, there we are. So I started walking at nine months, and Johnny started walking at 15 months. So if you do the math, I would push him around because he was kind of a Buddha, and I was like this perky little baby. Or I'd like push him up against the couch and then step on him so I could get up. But now he's like six foot four, so he can beat me up. Okay. The next picture. Okay, don't go there yet. But I wasn't a baby model like Brooke, but I did have professional pictures done. So there's Johnny and me in our matching swimsuits. <laughs> I still love blue and white stripes. So there we go. That came from a young age. And then, like any kid, I had my awkward years. So this is me in fourth grade. I got <laughs> I got glasses in third grade, and I swore it was the worst thing to happen to me because now all my childhood pictures are. Like that. <laughs> And lastly, my family. This is us just a few years ago. That's my dad, my mom. I have an older sister, Julie, me, and my brother, who's now big and six four. There he is. So that's it. That's me. That's my family.、Um, now you know somewhat, something about me. Not everything, but there I am. You know what I look like as a baby. Okay. <laughs> So tonight we're going to begin a new series where we're going to look at loneliness, and we already kind of touched on this、um, as Connor gave his testimony, which is awesome. And I'm willing to bet that based on conversations that I've had with many of you guys throughout this whole school year, and especially this spring quarter, that it's something that you have experienced or are experiencing. And many of these conversations that I have had have been surrounded around this idea of being all alone together. Have you felt this way? Or do you feel this way? And what does that even look like? Many of you live in sorority or fraternity houses, and you live with a hundred other people, and yet you feel totally isolated or totally unknown. You also attend a really large university. UW is huge, and so you're sitting in large lecture classes, and you're walking by so many people on campus, and yet still feel totally alone. One of the most common things that I've heard throughout this entire year is. Am I going to walk away from college having any good friends? Have you asked any of these questions? Myself and the human staff have had these conversations over and over again, and I think the thing about loneliness is that when we feel alone, we think we're the only ones feeling that way. 
And I'm here to tell you that that's not true, and you are not the only one feeling that way. But I also don't think we have to stay stuck in this rut of feeling alone. I think we need to address the issue and address the ways that we can cope with it and not just cover it up. So with that, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at what Jesus has to say in the Gospels and what invitations he extends to us within the reality of our loneliness. But before we begin, will you guys pray with me? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for who you are, and thank you for the gift of your scripture that we might come to know you more through it. Thank you that you're here tonight, and would our eyes and our ears and our hearts be aware of your presence in this room. Thank you that you're sitting beside each person and that you're standing up here with me. May this be your message and your words. Thank you that you invite us into life with you, and would we hear your calling. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so tonight the story that we're going to look at comes from the Gospel of John chapter 1, and the story is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Um, I'm sure you've heard of the 12 disciples, and so this is the story when Jesus meets the first five disciples. And previous to this story, there's this man named John, and John loves God, and he's a really great leader. He's also called John the Baptist, if you've heard of him. Now, John has never met Jesus, but he knows all about him. But people think John's such a good leader that they are asking him, are you Jesus? Are you the one that we've been waiting for? But he just tells them about this guy. So let's pick up in John 1, 35 through 50, the day after John gives this testimony about telling these men about Jesus. Okay. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. And they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you will see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John had said and followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. So let's look at the passage from the very beginning. John is standing with these two men, Andrew and someone else who's not named. 
And John, John sees Jesus passing by and he says, look, the Lamb of God, the one that I've been telling you about. So let's try to imagine this moment for a second, okay? These men have read the Old Testament. They've read the scriptures. They've heard the stories. They've talked. They've heard John talk about Jesus. And up until this point, it's, Jesus has just been this mystery guy that everyone's anticipating the coming of. So if you were here two weeks ago, Lorenzo Romar, the UW basketball coach, came and talked. And he talked about his first game playing in the NBA, right? So he's on the court, he's suiting up, playing the LA Lakers, and he gets on the court and realizes that he's guarding Magic Johnson. So someone that he knew from TV or from a distance all of a sudden is face-to-face with him. And that's what it must have been like for these disciples to finally see Jesus. So like anyone would do, they approached him. Like if you saw a celebrity, maybe like creep up on them. That's what I picture these disciples doing with Jesus. And Jesus realizes that they're following him, so he turns around and he asks them this question. What do you want? And in other versions of this text, he says, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? When I first read that, I was like, that's kind of rude. I feel like you would turn around and say hello to someone and not just say, what do you want? Um, But the question that Jesus asks here is so loving and significant. What do you want? What are you looking for? And if Jesus were to ask you that question today, how would you respond? We're going to jump back in my story a little bit. And maybe this is some of your story too. I grew up going to church, except I didn't really understand this concept of having a relationship with God until about middle school. So from middle school up until now, I've been learning and growing in my relationship with God. But we're going to start with my senior year of high school. Right? So I've had a few years of growing in my faith, learning about God. And before that year, both of my youth group leaders moved away. And so I went into senior year being like, okay, great, faith is my own. This is my chance to live it out on my own. I'm going to do whatever Jesus wants me to do. I'm going to go wherever he leads me. And my life was so glorified that year. I think I peaked in high school. Anyone else? I don't know. Hopefully not, but that's what it felt like. I had everything going for me. I, had, I was a lead role in our musical. I was captain of the swim team, homecoming queen. I was friends with every different group of people, swim team friends, choir friends, basketball friends, elementary school, middle school, best friends, my brother's friends, you name it. And at the end of the year, I was awarded this award of highest recognition that represented your contribution to your class and your character, and that was just this cherry on top of this amazing year. And I felt like that year God came in and he was unlocking all these doors of opportunity. And instead of me just thanking him and walking through, I I feel like I grabbed the keys out of his hand and, thanks Jesus, I'll take it from here. Thanks so much. During that year, I started drinking more and more frequently and people would see me at parties knowing I was a Christian and they would be so surprised that I was there. And I was praised for being a funny drunk. And within that, I felt like I was really worthy of their friendship. And I wasn't ignoring my faith during that year, but I was letting these areas of recognition and success and being known be my identity. I let my identity be built around these things that were tangible. But I want us to remember the question that Jesus asks the disciples. What do you want and what are you looking for? So what was I looking for during my senior year of high school? I was looking for security and affirmation and recognition and worth and whatever would give me validation and praise from my peers. 
And I felt like these accomplishments were a part of my identity. It was who I was. I'm great, I'm secure, I'm not lonely because I'm this, and I was given that, and I was recognized for all of this. And I felt worthy, and I felt fulfilled during that year, and I was so proud of myself. We're going to leave my story here. Remember, I'm on top of the world. Everything is going great. I love life. And we're going to go back to Jesus. So the disciples have followed Jesus, and Jesus has asked them, what do you want? What are you looking for? And they respond by saying, Jesus, where are you staying? And Jesus replies, come and you will see. I don't want us to miss that. He says, come and you will see. Now, if someone were to say that to to us today, this is how I imagine we might respond. Uh, Right now, I don't really have the time. I just asked you where you were staying, so if you could give me an address, uh, I can come later. I have a day packed full of meetings and assignments and homework. I do want to know where you're staying, but can you just give me your address and I'll MapQuest it and I'll show up when it's more convenient for me. Does that sound familiar? But the next line in the text says... So they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Jesus says, come and you will see. So his disciples went and saw and then remained with him the rest of the day. Jesus doesn't give them an address. He doesn't tell them what it is they're going to see, but he extends to them this invitation. And there's this element of mystery in Jesus' response. Right? He doesn't say something religious like, Get on your knees, repent, and be baptized. And he doesn't say, oh, I'm staying at the Marriott Hotel, room 365. Stop by when you can. Instead, in a really simplistic and humanistic way, he just invites these men to come and see. In light of loneliness, I think that we are often under the impression that everyone else is invited. Everyone else is invited to live this exciting life and to have a million friends, and everyone else is excited or is invited to, lit, to be in your dream major, everyone else is invited, but we are not. We're not invited. I'm not invited. And that's the curse of our loneliness. Yet Jesus speaks the words, come and you will see. And he doesn't make big revealing promises in that phrase, but he does make the promise that if we come, then we will see. And part of this invitation also requires us to leave something behind. We have to leave what we're doing to follow and see where Jesus is inviting us into. Okay, so the next part of the text. Andrew and his friend decided to go and see where Jesus was staying, right? And even though the scripture, it doesn't tell us what happened when they remained with him the rest of the day. But we have to assume that something happened because the next part of the text We see Andrew, he can hardly contain himself, and he goes and finds his brother Simon Peter and introduces him to Jesus. So now Jesus has three disciples with him, and this invitation is spreading to come and see who this Jesus guy is. So the next part of the text, we see Jesus approaching a man named Philip. Okay, and right up here it says, The following day Jesus went to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Come, follow me. So in the first part of the story, Jesus is pursued by the disciples, right? Remember, they're creeping up on him. And now we see Jesus approaching Philip, pursuing Philip. And this is significant because it demonstrates that our relationship with Jesus is a two-way street. 
right? So when, when we approach him, he invites us to come and see. And when he approaches us, he says, come, follow me. And in order for an invitation to mean anything, we have to receive it and respond to it. I want us to pay attention to the three things that Jesus has said so far. He says, what do you want? Sasha, what are you looking for? Come and you will see, and come follow me. Remember those. We're going to go back to my story. So we left off, remember, I'm on top of the world. Life is so awesome. Everything's fallen into place, and my next step is college. So I stayed in my hometown of Boulder, and I went to the University of Colorado. I just had to show it off. There it is. Okay, so go Buffs. Um, So I moved five minutes away from my parents' house, and I moved into the dorms. And I had two ideas in mind as I started college. The first one was I wanted the party to continue, right? So I was pretty important in high school, and I was ready to remain pretty important in college. And two, I wanted to take my faith more seriously, kind of recognize that I had maybe slipped up a bit my senior year, and so I was ready to be serious about it. And to me, what that meant was finding a strong community in my college ministry and to stop drinking. Here's what actually happened. And some of you may be in the thick of this now, or maybe you have a similar experience to what my college freshman year was like. The transition was really hard. I was in the same town with a completely different life. By the first day, I was drunk in my dorm room and stumbling around campus. Within two weeks, I had to move back home because I was sick with mono, and I couldn't walk and I couldn't talk for two weeks. I missed two weeks of class. I ended up dropping a class, and then I got the worst grades of my entire life. I missed the freshman retreat that my church offered, which also meant missing out on forming community right away. And it also meant that every time I would walk into the annex, which was my college ministry, very similar to the inn, I would go to the bathroom and take my time because I felt like everyone knew everyone and I knew no one. That whole first semester, um, when I came back from being sick, I jumped right back into drinking. During that semester, my uncle was battling terminal cancer, and right before Christmas, we lost my first family member. Spring semester, my roommate and I started to not get along, and I had serious eye problems, and I couldn't see because of a scratched cornea. And guys, maybe you can relate to this, but I was desperately clinging to what my old life had been, and I was mourning the loss of what my life had been like. Because all of a sudden, these things that elevated me, that made me who I was, that were so important to me in high school, didn't matter. Nobody cared about musicals or homecoming crowns or captain of sports teams, who my friends were, how involved I was, or how well-known I had been. And in an instant, everything that I had built my identity around was ripped out from under me. And I felt exposed, and I felt worthless, and I felt like I was standing alone. Very misunderstood. What are you looking for? Come and you will see, and follow me. As I walked through campus my freshman year, I felt like there was this dark cloud covering everything, and I didn't see how my old life could ever be matched in college. And I wanted to promise everyone around me that I used to be a lot more fun, I used to be funnier, I used to be a lot more lively, but that I couldn't be that person without them understanding who I had been or just how good I used to have it. One weekend, I would get really drunk, and the next weekend, I would be telling my dorm mates that I wanted to stop drinking, and that was confusing because I was living a double life where I was saying one thing and doing another. 
And then I would go to the annex on Tuesday nights, and I would feel so filled, and I'd feel joyful, and I'd make these big promises to myself to do better and to be myself again. And then I'd go back to the dorms, and I'd be plagued with a deep sense of feeling misunderstood and lonely. And all the while, I believed that Jesus was whispering to me, what are you looking for? Come and you will see and follow me over and over again. And I was looking for something to make me not as lonely. I might have heard those words that year, but I didn't know how to accept this invitation that Jesus extended to me. And I didn't know that if I accepted it, it might just be a liberation to my loneliness. So Jesus has come, and these men are starting to meet him, and the invitation is spreading to come and see. Remember, Andrew found his brother Simon, Jesus found Philip, and now Philip is going to go find his friend Nathaniel. And at first, Nathaniel's really skeptical of Jesus, but as they interact, if you recall, the last thing that Jesus says is, you will see greater things than this. And that's a really big promise that Jesus makes. He's speaking to Nathaniel, saying, Nathaniel, you were skeptical that I am Jesus, the Messiah, until I told you I saw you under a fig tree. If you think that's amazing, then just wait and see. You will see greater things than this. And one of those greater things that Jesus offers us in his invitation is to become known. In our loneliness, we are dying to become known. We're craving for others to know us where we are locationally, emotionally, and spiritually. And as I look back on my freshman year of college, I think that's what I really desired the most. I wanted people to know me. I wanted them to know where I'd come from and who I was. But I found myself at a loss for how to become known since all the things I had used to build up who I was were now insignificant. And Jesus was looking at me and saying, you have to show something different. You have to be known for who I say you are, not what your accomplishments and your successes say you are, not for the affirmation you get from being a funny drunk and not for the shallow conversations you're having. And within that, I had to learn who I was according to Jesus. By summer, I'd gotten to the point where I'd wake up in the morning and I'd want to go back to sleep and not face the day. I had applied to transfer schools. I applied to three schools. and I was like, get me out of here. There's no hope. But that fell through, and I ended up heading back to CU in the fall for my sophomore year. And I knew that things needed to change. I knew that I couldn't just sit in this state of feeling misunderstood and totally alone. I could either continue being miserable, or I could be really vulnerable and take a lot of risks and confront my loneliness. If you are unfamiliar with the scripture of Jesus' life, then I think it's important that you know that Jesus was true to his word when he said, you will see greater things than this. I would invite you guys to open up the Gospel of John on your own time. And if you don't have a Bible, we have them in the back and you can take them for free. But if you open that Gospel and you read the stories of the relationships and the friendships that Jesus had during his years of ministry and the miracles that he performed and the ultimate sacrifice that he made on the cross... I think a lot of us think that God is someone who's just really far away and maybe very unrelatable or has too high of a status for us. 
But I want us to pause and look at what it says in Philippians 2, 6 through 8. It says, Though he, Jesus, was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Let's not forget that Jesus was just as human as you and me. In that moment, when they hung him on a cross, and he was an innocent and he was a perfect man, and he yelled out, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? In that moment, Jesus experienced loneliness. We're not alone in our loneliness. And we're also not entering into a relationship with a God who doesn't understand loneliness. Jesus knows that feeling. And he understands that emotion. And he's felt that sting and the pain of it. But he also invites us out of it. If you guys recall, Easter was a few weeks ago. So we don't want to forget that we celebrated Jesus' resurrection. That in his loneliness and that in loneliness and death, he overcame it with victory as he returned to the earth to be with the disciples that we've been talking about. As I returned to school in the fall for my sophomore year, I had made the decision to become a youth group leader for high school girls. And because of that decision, I actually made the decision to stop drinking. And I knew that I needed friends that would encourage me to be a better person. I knew a few people from the annex, and so I started inviting myself to things, which was vulnerable and awkward. And every single class that I attended that first week of school, I knew someone or I recognized them, and they were all people who went to the annex. You will see greater things than this. And it might seem like a strange testimony to attribute all of my classes having people from the annex to God, but I knew that he knew what I needed that year. And I cannot write that off as a coincidence. God used my freshman year. He used it to knock me off of my pedestal, to completely humble me, and I was stripped of my identity, and I had to learn and listen and respond to what God was inviting me into. In the midst of my loneliness, God showed up, and it wasn't easy, and it was really hard, and it was vulnerable, and at times it was really shameful. But through the darkness of that first year, God was really able to reveal his light. Sophomore year, I saw Jesus showing me greater things than this, and I saw it through a really solid community of friends. I learned through scripture more about who God said I was to him. I learned more about the ways that God does show us greater things. And as much as I invested in the things around me, my high school girls, my sorority, the annex, my roommates, I knew that those things no longer made up who I was. And that was so liberating. And God gave me many, many more opportunities to come and see, right? So my family and my friends mean the world to me. And then my junior year, I found myself on a plane to Europe to study abroad. And I'm thinking, well, God, I just made all these friends. Why would I go be alone in a foreign country? Come and you will see. I accepted this position as your intern last March, which meant actually moving away from my friends and family. Oh, God, I can't do that. Are you kidding me? Like, everyone's in Colorado. Come and you will see. And my point is this. 
is that Jesus understands our loneliness. And different seasons of our lives bring different forms of loneliness. And because we choose to follow Jesus doesn't mean that he's promising us a million friends who know us deeply. But what matters is that we recognize that we are invited, that you are invited, that we are invited into living beside Jesus, just like his disciples. We're invited to be known by Jesus, and he invites us to know him. So the questions that I want to leave you with are this. What are you looking for, and what do you want? Maybe that's community. Maybe that's being known or knowing others. Are you seeking out what you want? If you want to be living out your faith more vibrantly, then are you excitedly seeking after Jesus like those first disciples? Second, come and see. Do you believe that this invitation is for you? And if you do, are you inviting others into it? I hope that as you hear this message, you would be comforted in knowing how not alone you are. Guys, this is a room full of really lonely people. So where can you take the responsibility to break down those barriers and create a community of people who are known and who are loved? And lastly, cling to this. Jesus approaches us and says, follow me. And he was not just talking to Philip, right? He was talking to you and you, and he was talking to me. And when we do, and when we leave behind the things that are distancing us from God, and we go and we follow and we remain with him, the promise that he makes is you will see greater things than this. Will you guys pray with me? Jesus, you are good. You are here and we acknowledge your presence. And Lord, I lift up this reality that we are in the midst of our loneliness. I ask, Lord, that you would come to know and understand more of who you are. Would you open our eyes to receive your invitation? Would you remind us again and again that we are invited? Lord, would you remind us again and again and again that we are invited? Lord, I thank you for the example that you were during your ministry on earth. Thank you for taking the undeserved place on a cross and for bearing our burdens. And thank you that we have the chance to live an abundant life right alongside of you. Thank you that you care so deeply about each of us. And thank you, Lord, that we are not alone. Thank you for greater things that we have already seen and the greater things that we still do not know. In Jesus' name, amen.